0: I've always been fascinated with the lives of the 12 apostles who isn't right. They were, um, you know, after reading about them and understanding their background, you, you, you get to learn about them and you realize that they were just real people. They were approachable people. They were ordinary men, just like you and I, not one of them was known as having intellectual ability. They were not known as being these theologians. In fact, Jesus says in Luke that they were slow learners and spiritually dense. Like many of us, they had character flaws. They had issues. They had baggage. They were prone to mistakes. They they were prone to wrong attitudes. they They were just like you and I. Character flaws all over the place. But they were 12 ordinary men who are still having an impact on the world today. And of these 12, probably the most intriguing is the Apostle John. Besides Luke and Paul, he wrote more of the New Testament than anybody. His life includes some unbelievable highs and lows. He he had courage. He had confidence. Most of what we know come from his own writings. In fact, some of it is actually we get from history. I'm going to share a few of those today with you. Just an ordinary man living an extraordinary life. And today what I want to do is share with you three things about his life. Three things that show us a man who went from a just a mere ordinary beginning to living above and beyond an extraordinary life. And we begin in Revelation chapter 1 in verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. The first thing I want to share with you about John today is John had a revelation of Jesus. Wouldn't you say that after what we just read? He had an incredible revelation of Jesus. Jesus says to John on the Isle of Patmos, he said, I was dead, but now I'm alive. And this entire book of Revelation is a divine encounter that John had with Jesus. Jesus here is the ascended, the resurrected Christ. And here is John receiving that vision. And to really understand the revelation that John received in his life, i got to give you some background information on John. I'm not here to bore you. I'm here just to simply say, i got to tell you about John, because once you know about John, you're going to have a clear vision of who Jesus Christ is. Amen. At the time of this uh, uh, writing of Revelation, John, believe it or not, is the only living original disciple. All the other disciples had been martyred. They had been killed. Martyr just simply means they they chose death over renouncing their Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll give you a couple of examples of uh, a couple guys that got martyred. Uh, Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Now, about that time, Harry the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Right here, clear example of what happened. James, the the brother of John, the older brother, was martyred because of his stance for Jesus Christ. Nero, we believe, is the one who uh, actually crucified Peter upside down. And so John here, he's the only living original disciple. Now, they did try to kill him. In fact, what they did is they had this big vat of boiling oil. And they put him in that oil. It had no effect on him. It didn't touch his skin, didn't burn him at all. In fact, in the oil, he was preaching to them. So the Emperor Domitian was so afraid of this guy, John, we can't kill him. He said, we're going to send him off to a vacation on Patmos. John goes to the island. He receives the the revelation that we have. There's two theories about his parents. The first one, some believe, only a small group of people believe, that um, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, they believe that um, he had a wife before Mary. And that wife was salome so that would make jesus a half brother to salome salome marries zebedee they have a son named john becomes a half nephew of jesus most people believe that actually salome was mary's sister mary uh, excuse me the salome marries zebedee has a son named john so that makes john and jesus cousins okay So you can understand that growing up as a young boy, they probably did a lot of things together. They played together. Uh, He was around him. He had some encounters with Jesus even before the time of Revelation. And so we really get two pictures of John of what he thought about Jesus. He said, you know what, I, I need to nail down two main points in Scripture. And he does. He gives us, number one, he gives us the divinity of Christ, meaning the supernatural power of Christ. How do we know that? Well, John chapter 1, he begins, John chapter 1, in the beginning. Is there another book of the Bible that begins like that? Genesis, right? He says, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He said, this is what I want you to understand about my cousin. Not only was he the Messiah, but he was the son of God and God himself. You see, it wasn't Congress that gave us this, right? It wasn't a a man's theory that gave us this. It says in the beginning, he had a true picture of the divinity of Christ. He understood there was the father, son, and the Holy Spirit. He also said there's the humanity of Jesus, meaning the human side. In fact, he tells us in, John, in 1 John chapter 1, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Now, right here, John is up in age. Some people believe he was about 100 years old when he's writing. And why is he writing 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John? Well, there were some issues, there were some problems that were bothering him at a town called Ephesus. And what they were saying was that there were some false teachers who were saying that Jesus was he's just a figment of your imagination. He, he really didn't exist. And they also said that he never came and walked the earth. John says, oh, no which we have heard, which we have seen. In other words, he's saying, I laid my eyes on Jesus. And he said, I was there. I saw him. I touched him. I I heard every word that he said. We broke bread together. He said, I'm a firsthand witness of what took place. Many years ago, I had the uh, great opportunity of visiting Tiger Stadium. And it was, I think it was either the mid or late nineties and uh, LSU and Florida were playing on a Saturday night in Tiger Stadium. Oh man, there's no other place to be. And at the time, Florida was ranked either number one or number two and LSU was like way down. I don't even know if they were ranked, but LSU pulls out the game in the last two minutes They win the game. The goalposts come down. It was a national audience. Everybody runs onto the field. It was incredible. No one left the stadium. About two weeks later, I'm talking to this guy, and he's telling me what happened at the end of the game. And I said, it didn't happen that way. And he said, yeah, that's what I heard from other guys, that that's how LSU was able to. I said, no, that's not what happened. He says, well, how do you know? I said, well, I was there. John was there. Another thing that we get from John about the revelation of Christ is his use of the word Lamb of God. We see it in the New Testament. We actually see it 38 times. John used it 34 Let me give you an example. They shall know that neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See, John had a revelation of the lamb. He knew from the Old Testament writings about the Passover. He knew it was the 10th plague. He knew what had happened. The, the Lord sent the, the death angel to, to take, take out the firstborn in Egypt. He, he knew all about that, that you had, to, you had to kill and sacrifice an animal, right? You had to take that blood and put it on your doorpost so that that death angel would literally pass over your home so that no one in your household was destroyed. You see, John understood and he wanted to convey to us that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He witnessed the Lamb of God. And he knew, John knew, that to be reconciled back to the Father, that a Lamb had to come. And basically, John says, no further sacrifice was needed after Jesus came. The second thing that we understand about John is that John had a growing revelation of Jesus. He had a growing revelation of Jesus. The book of John is so fascinating because it contains things that Jesus, it contains more things that Jesus said about himself than any other book of the Bible. In fact, it's called the the red letter edition or the red letter gospel. There are more red letters Per capita in the book of John than any other book in the New testament it's also called the i am Gospel. How do we know that well John writes seven times about what jesus says he says in john six thirty four i am the bread john eight twelve i am the light john ten seven i am the door john ten eleven I am the good shepherd john eleven twenty five I am the resurrection John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, 1, I am the vine. Now, why would John write this seven times? Do you think we're that dense that we needed to hear it seven times? Right? Once is enough, don't you think? No, John knew that there is power in those two words of I am. When Jesus was led out into the garden and he went out there to pray, the Roman soldiers were hot on his trail. And it's believed that there were between 300 and 600 Roman soldiers who were coming to capture Jesus and to bring him to be crucified. And one of the soldiers comes up. And Jesus says, What do you want? Or who do you want? John chapter 18, we find out. They answered him, Hey, we want Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with him. Now, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. (laughs) There's power in the words, I am. To knock down three, four, five, six hundred soldiers at the blink of an eye. John knew that there's power. That's why he said, I've got to write this down. I've got to write every word that Jesus says about himself. John knew that there was power to knock these guys down. John also referred to himself as the love disciple. He shares with us in his gospel how much he loves Jesus and how much Jesus loves him. If John hadn't recorded about love, we would have never gotten that commandment that Jesus said when he said, love one another. History tells us that one day when John was very old, he goes to the temple. And the people were so excited that John was there, they went up to him and said, John, so glad you're here. Man, can you tell us something, one thing that maybe you could tell us about what it was like to be with Jesus, maybe one thing that he taught on. And John, in his old age, he walks up to the front and he gets at the pulpit and he says, love one another. And the people were like, well, John, can can you expand on that a little bit? Maybe give us some more insights to what he said, maybe some more things he taught. He said, Love one another. John, come on, man. You can. I know there's something else that Jesus taught that you can relay to us because look, we, we want to hear. He just says, love one another. Because he said it's the greatest commandment of all. Amen. You got to remember that it was a growing revelation. Because God, uh, John didn't start out being the love disciple. In fact, to the contrary, he was a little rough around the edges. He didn't have that natural talent to love one another. John was a Galilean. He was just like Peter. And if you were a Galilean, you were considered country folk. You were considered unlearned, untrained, unschooled. But there was something different about John because in the book of Acts, it says that Peter and John laid hands on a man and they healed him. The people noticed that they were unschooled and untrained and Galileans, but they also noticed that they had been with Jesus. So John starts out a little rough. He starts out a little rugged. In fact, Jesus gave them this title, the sons of thunder. Now we use it as like a compliment, right? But Jesus's intent was not necessarily a compliment. What he was saying in the original language was is that, guys, you're a little wild and you're going to need some help. And let me give you a couple of examples of the sort of the rugged, rough side of John. Luke 9, 54 says this, and when his disciples, James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Please, Lord, we want fire to come down right now. John's a long way from being a love disciple. Long, long, long way. Mark 9, 38. Now, John answered him saying, teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. Now, let me give you the Rob translation of that. What John was saying was, we saw somebody from another church using our material, and we told him to stop. Little rough around the edges. John was ambitious. He was a little aggressive, passionate. Nothing wrong with that. But in these two examples, it, it, it shows that a little explosive, a little intolerant, you know. And then we've got the infamous secret request. Mark 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Again, a little ambitious, a little aggressive. But you've got to understand, they were fishermen. What do fishermen do? They like to outdo the other guy. They get to the dock. Yeah, we caught, a, we caught 38 fish. The other guy's like, we caught 39. Then the other guy, he's back in his boat. Oh, we, we caught 72. They're lying, people. They were ambitious. That, that was, that's how he was raised. He was a fisherman, rough and rugged, right? He had to outdo everybody. Lord, I, can I be next to you? But you know, this was a great uh, teaching moment for Jesus. He knew that they were a little rough. He knew that they were the sons of thunder. He knew that he had to somehow teach them about humility and about, about serving others. And, and look at the transformation through all of that. Again, we go to the book of Revelation. Look how John starts the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, many people believe that the book of Revelation It's all about the end time. And if John were here today, he said, stop focusing on what you think is going to happen. Start focusing on who it's written about. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. But to go from being called the son of thunder to. Let me tell you about the revelation of Jesus Christ tells me. That John was able to balance this ambition with humility. He was able to understand and, and get growing and greater revelation of who Jesus was. And to dig a little deeper about the growing revelation, I've got to let you know about the the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call synoptic gospels. It just simply means they were very similar, they were same, the structure is, is is pretty mirrors one another. But when you get to the book of John, it's, it's not like it is a gospel. It is the good news. But it's not necessarily like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all begin with the, the birth of Jesus. They tell us about a little bit about his upbringing. They tell us about his baptism and all that. And then immediately, the rest of their books is nothing but the literally the last year of Jesus' ministry. How do we know that? Because they only talk about one Passover in Jesus' time. John, however, gives us three Passovers. And if it wasn't for John and and his wisdom and writing that down, we would have never known that Jesus' ministry was actually three years. So John is about 100 years old, and he's writing these books. And it's 60 years after Jesus died. And why is he writing these particular things? It, it's simply because all he had to go on, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written way before John. And he's reading going, man, I think I can expound on this a little. I think I can give a little bit more about the, the who, who Jesus is. Again, a growing revelation. How do we know that? Well, you'll find things in John you're not going to find in any other gospel. John chapter 2, Jesus' first miracle. John chapter 3, it's about Nicodemus, when Jesus says you have to be born again. John chapter 4, it's the woman at the well. John chapter 5, it's the, uh, the man who gets healed at the pool. Uh, John chapter 8, it's the woman caught in adultery. John chapter 9, it's the blind man who was blind from birth. John 11, the raising of Lazarus. John 13, the washing of the disciples' feet. It's really phenomenal that he's writing all of this 60 years after Jesus died. Now, what was he doing in those 60 years? Was he inactive? Uh, Was he just lounging around on the beach having a vacation? No. I believe he was having many encounters day after day after day understanding who Jesus is. Do you remember what you had for supper last Monday night? How about a conversation you had two weeks ago to maybe one of your employees? Can you remember every, every little detail? No, we can't. We're just not that good. But John was able to. And he is just an amazing example to us of what we have got to do. We've got to have a daily encounter with him. And when we tap into that, that's when we get the growing revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Number three, John has a, a revelation of himself in Jesus. John had a revelation of himself in Jesus. Here's the deal. He saw that Jesus loved him i believe you know like i said he 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 had ambition he was aggressive he was very passionate but i believe what happened in those 60 years i believe one of the biggest things that happened he went from a transition of being ambition to a transition of being affectionate he understood what love is he encountered it he he said you know what i i i'm done with this on on my own i'm 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 done with trying to glorify myself and god at the same time i think i'm just going to glorify god And he got it. Let me give you some examples of what John writes about himself. John chapter 13, verse 23. Now there was a leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. John 20, verse 2. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. John 21, 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved. You getting the pattern here? John 21, 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. He refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved four times. Was he arrogant? Was he trying to say, I'm better than the other guys? Jesus loved me more than... No, this is what happened. I believe this. In those 60 years, when he's writing John and 1 John and Second and Revelation, I believe this is what he got. I believe he said, I finally figured it out. He loves me. He loves me. Solomon asked for wisdom and became the wisest man in the world. John made love a priority, and he embraced it wherever he went. John chapter 14, 15, and 16 is all about the the Last Supper, that intimate moment that he has with his 12 friends, his 12 disciples. John chapter 17 is nothing but a prayer that Jesus utters when he is in the garden. When he's out there crying out to the Lord, he invites a couple of his close friends He says, Lord, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one. He says, I pray that they will love one another. And by this world, they're going to know it. They're going to know love. Guess who he took with him in the garden? John. I believe the reason why he took John is he knew that John would record the prayer. He doesn't write it down until 60 years later. How could that man remember all of that, all of those details? I believe he understood that Jesus simply loved him. Let me tell you, to have daily encounters with Jesus will change your life. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna understand that he is the Lamb of God. You're going to understand that w- when he says love, you're going to get that deep down inside of you. Now, I believe that John was just simply so convinced that Jesus loved him. How do, you, how do you know that, Rob? How do you know that John was just so convinced that Jesus loved him? Well, I've been telling you John's character up to this point. I've been giving you some details, but I left out one on purpose. And I believe this is what shaped the man. John chapter 19. I got to tell you that <clears throat> at this point, Jesus is hanging on the cross. The crown of thorns is shoved into his head. He, he's beaten, he's bloodied. Scripture says even his own mom didn't recognize who he was. And he's about to take his last breath. And he's looking down. And let's see what Scripture says. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own. At a time when any other person would have just simply run away, the youngest disciple of them all chose not to run. Scripture says he stayed near the crucifixion. He saw love exampled on the cross. And so here's Jesus on the cross looking down at his mom and looking down at his friend, John. John's looking up and he's saying, Jesus is everything to me. He's my Lord and Savior. He's my mentor. He's my friend. He's everything to me. He's my world. But he doesn't walk away when things get tough. Let me, let me ask you a question. When things get tough for you, do you walk away from the cross? Maybe you and your spouse have had a little spat. Maybe, maybe one on the way here and you just simply want to run. Maybe there's some emotional hurts or pains in your life that, that, that the only way you know how to deal with it is run. Maybe you've battled poor self-image. Five years ago, I ran from the cross. My life had taken a tailspin. Here I was, a pastor on this staff. I was a broken, hurt man. And I needed help. It got so bad that I had to be sent to Ohio to get treatment. I was in a bad, bad way. My life was crumbling before my very eyes. And so I get to Ohio. It's freezing up there. It never got above 32. I thought, if you're from Ohio, please forgive me. But it was not fun for me up there when it came to temperature, okay? But, but I get up there and, and, and I'm in these meetings. I'm in these counseling sessions. I'm, I'm just, I'm doing what P- Pastor Todd had, had asked me to do. And I was just kind of going through the motions, but I couldn't figure it out. I, I don't, I didn't know why. I didn't know what was going on inside of me. And on the seventh day, they, they had this, uh, you know, the facility was here and, and the rooms that we stayed. There was about 25 of us receiving healing, but there was a, this nice pond. It was about a one acre pond. It was very beautiful. There was a couple of ducks that would come and swim and, and all of that. And one afternoon I'm out there and I'm just struggling. I'm going, Lord, it's day seven. You know, come on, get uh, get with it, Lord. You know, I need some help here. And and I'm just praying and crying and and on my knees and I'm watching these ducks having all this fun and I'm not having fun. And I'm going, Lord, come on. And then all I heard was this. Stop running. I love you. It freed me up so much. To hear those words. Because I didn't think that the Lord loved me. But on day seven, I finally understood. John understood too. John chapter 20, verses three. I love this. Verses three and four. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Now hold hold it right there, Doug. Peter and the other disciple. You want to know who the other disciple was? John. John. Now, let let me paint this picture here. Jesus has been crucified. He's been laid in the tomb. And they get word that Jesus, that the tomb was empty. So Peter and John started for the tomb. Verse 4. Both were running, but John, the other disciple, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I believe John was saying, I'm not going to delay getting to Jesus. He stayed near the cross. He didn't run away. And he said, I'm not going to delay in getting to Jesus. Have you delayed getting to Jesus? Maybe you're here for the very first time and, 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 and you've, you've never committed or even recommitted your life to Christ. Can I just say, don't run? Don't delay getting to Jesus. Why Why hold on to the pain? Why masquerade like I did for years thinking I wasn't loved? Has shame or guilt got you in shackles that you can't get out? If there's one thing, one thing, one thing that you get here today, it's this. Jesus is telling you right here today that you are gorgeous. And you are the disciple that Jesus loves. I can tell you that. But until you hear it from the master, that's when life change comes in you. That's when that growing revelation starts building inside of you. The only way we're going to hear those words if we have to have a daily encounter with him. Amen. John's story doesn't end here. Acts eighteen, seventeen. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Well, 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 John finally got his wish. He wanted to call fire down on somebody, and it finally took place. Amen? The fire of God got in him. The love of God got in him, and there was just no stopping John, let me tell you. Amen? And I'm not talking about the, the the fire that he was trying to call down on the Samaritan earlier. This was a different kind of fire. This was the Holy Spirit that had got on him, that it was just spilling over on, on onto everybody else. He wanted to lay hands on everybody. You know what I'm saying? Oh, fear gone, boom. Marriage restored, boom. That that's the kind of that's the kind of uh, tenacity that he had. Remember, he was ambitious, right? But it was a different kind of ambitious because he had the fire of God in him, and he got his wish. And let me tell you, he did not delay in getting to Jesus. He didn't delay in getting to people. He said, come on, let, let me pray for you. You want to receive healing? Let me lay my hands on you. You want to receive restoration? Let me lay my hands on you. Oh, you've been dealing with rejection? Step right up. A mere, ordinary man. who lived an extraordinary life. Please stand. This is John's story. He had a revelation of Jesus. He had a growing, growing revelation of Jesus. And then he finally got it deep down inside that Jesus loved him. Now, I'm going to ask for the altar work, uh, workers to come down. Pastors, pastors, wives, I, I need you. I need you. If you're an altar worker, please come down. Line up right here. Because we're going to have an altar call for those of you that that, that maybe you're spiritually dry, maybe maybe you're dealing with something, maybe you feel unworthy, maybe you don't feel the love of God. And listen, I don't want you leaving here early just to get to a barbecue because it's Father's Day. This is real stuff here. This is about your spiritual uh, beginning right here. Amen? So if you feel that, if you feel deep down inside that maybe you've been struggling, maybe, again, your spiritual tank is just simply empty. And you're about to throw in the towel. You're about to give up. You're you're just simply saying, I'm, I'm tired of life. Look, I know. I ran from the cross. Maybe you have been running. And today, the Lord's saying, you need to stop running. I don't want you to leave here today without getting prayer. No one's going to look down on you. No, In fact, people are going to applaud you for being honest to say, yes, I've been running. Yes, I've been dealing with some issues in my life. And so I'm going to invite those of you that have been dealing, those of you that are spiritually dry, maybe you felt unworthy. I want you to just come down right now. Don't delay. Don't delay in getting to the cross. Don't delay in coming to the cross and saying, Jesus, I need help. It's okay because I had to do that. Listen, I was at the bottom of the bottom. You know how you get to the bottom of the barrel? I was underneath the bottom of the barrel. That's how low I had gotten. And when at that day when I cried out to Jesus, he met me at that lake in Ohio, and it was a profound day for me. He said, "Stop running. I love you." And today Jesus Christ wants to tell you that. He wants to say, "I love you more than more than anything." He says, I love you because you are no longer unworthy, but you have been granted a a worthy type of spirit. And father, I pray right now as people are coming, come on down. We've got people who are here who are ready to pray with you in the mighty name of Jesus. I declare that the grace of God, the, 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 the strong arm of God is here today to say, I love you, my son. I love you, my daughter. Don't delay getting to Jesus. Stay near the cross each and every day. Father, I pray over everyone in this auditorium, Lord, as they leave today. Yes, we're celebrating and honoring our dads. But most importantly, Lord, we're honoring you, saying, you know what, Lord? I know I need a daily encounter with you. I know, Lord, that I need to get to the cross today. And I don't want to delay. I'm running. I'm going to outrun everybody. I need help. I need a deliverer. I need Jehovah Rapha today. Lord, I pray a blessing over everyone in this auditorium, Lord, as they go. Keep them safe, Lord. Keep them safe. In the mighty, wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming, Pastor Todd. We'll be back here next Sunday. Be blessed and happy Father's Day.